Blog Talk Radio. October 6, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and welcome to everyone who's joining me over here in the Blog Talk Radio chat room. Roger is noticing that the clock says that there's just under an hour remaining, and that's right, I'm going to be here only one hour today. Um, So yeah, I've got some stuff to do to prepare for a huge event this weekend. So I do have to run, uh, but we've got some interesting things to discuss before that. So run over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. Don'tletitgo.com is a place where you can get program notes for the show. Today, independence and empowerment is the title. Those are the two first topics and the big ones that I had planned, but there's some other things as well. So run over to the blog, check out the program notes. If there's something in the notes that interests you and you want to chime in, of course, you can do so in the chat room if you're joining us over here in the chat room, but you can also call in. And it was really cool that I got, I think it was four callers on Wednesday. It was uh, it was a fun show. Of course, we didn't get to independence, but that's fine. That's an ongoing story, as will be gun control and everything else. 760-888-5817 is the number if you would like to call in. And if you want to say something, Make sure that if you're on the line that you press the one key so then it gives me the little question icon and and lets me know that you would like to chime in. The first topic that we've got up over in the program notes is Catalonian independence from Spain. And the latest that I've seen over there, this says that it's updated just early this morning, October 26th, excuse me, October 6th. Not 26 yet, right? Um, And first of all, they had their referendum, even though the police tried to stop it. And there are some horrific videos of the Spanish forces trying to stop this referendum from taking place in the Catalan region. So then um, 90% of the referendum came back for independence. However, only 42% of eligible voters actually went to the polls. So very, very high, you know, percentage of the actual people who cast a vote say that they want independence from Spain, and yet only 42% showed up at the poll. What do you make of that? Some people are saying, well, it's because people who didn't want independence stayed home. But I wonder if the reason that there were only 42% going to the polls were because of, I'm actually watching on the CNN site right now on the right margin they've got a video and 
they are showing the violence from the police officers just trying to stop people from even voting about this. So they've had the referendum. They have voted 90%. And from what I understand, the parliament had intended, the president of the parliament had, had intended to declare independence. And the constitutional court in Spain said that it issued a suspension of the regional parliament, Catalonia's regional parliament. Um, So is that parliament going to go on? I guess it's planned for Monday is what this story tells us. And at that point, that's when they expect it to go ahead and declare independence. Um, But they have the suspension and it was, they said it was a request from the Catalan Socialist Party, which opposes secession. So what are we to make of this? You know, I would say that one thing that the Spanish government has done to at least, you know, unfortunately stir up sympathy for the independence movement is use violence in order to stop the referendum, right? Um, If anybody is using violence to stop anybody from voting about something, then that seems like a bad move. Um, Sir DMZ in the chat room says, would you turn up knowing that the federal government does not view the vote as legitimate? 42% is a bloody high turnout in this situation, he thinks. Yeah, I mean, if, if they say, well, they don't view it as legitimate, I don't know that just a statement that they don't view it as legitimate would deter me from going to the polls if I was motivated. But if you were hearing that the police were cracking down at the polls, you know, are you going to go risk your life and safety going to the polls in that kind of situation? That's what I would attribute it to more is the, you know, the, the actual threat to safety. So, I mean, yeah, whatever you do or don't know, and I, I knew nothing about why it was that they wanted independence in the, in the first place. I didn't know anything at all. But when I saw these videos of the police cracking down on the vote, I was thinking, oh, there must be something there. There must be some real reason. And certainly I'm more sympathetic if, you know, someone says, I want to leave. And then they say, no, you can't leave. We're going to, you know, prevent you. Now, at the same time, what did we have in the United States? We had Abraham Lincoln saying, no, we're not going to let the South secede from the Union. We're not going to have, you know, the, the Southern Confederate States and yeah, you used force in order to keep them in and, and have that war. So you do want to know something about the underlying cause. Why is it that Catalonia wants independence from Spain? And so first of all, I had to consult a friend who knows a little bit of history, but I also looked at an article that I got from Metro UK. I've put it in the program notes if you want to go check it out. It turned out that up until 1975, there was a, you know, an authoritarian ruler, uh, Franco dictatorship from 1939 to 1975. And during that period, all Catalan regional institutions that were Catalan were banned. The use of their official language was also banned. So you can imagine during that time period, a lot of resentment would be built up and everything else. But in 75, of course, Spain became a democracy. It was no longer under this Franco dictatorship. And Catalonia had 
been given a large, you know, to a large extent, political, cultural autonomy. And this was written into the constitution that they have in Spain in uh, 1979. They call it the statute of autonomy. So what Catalonia has been trying to do since then is achieve greater and greater autonomy and, uh, you know, from Spain. But I guess that eventually any efforts to do this have been blocked. There's this constitutional court of Spain that hasn't allowed this trend towards autonomy for Catalonia to continue. And they tried once already in September, 2014 to have this referendum for independence and, Apparently, they said, well, it wasn't a real independence. They weren't going to declare independence. Um, you know, I, guess, I don't know, maybe it was more of a show of interest at that point. So this is not the first time that they've tried it. But then you say, okay, well, what is the actual complaint? Of course, there, there's this history, right, this history of oppression. But it's not the current government that has been oppressive. What the current government is doing is resisting further moves toward autonomy, anything more that they had in the beginning. Um, but what is it, you know, why is it that they want to have independence? They've got their own language. That's one of it, one of the things. Okay, so if they have their own language, do they just say, okay, well, we are entitled to be separate because we have our own language, what do you think of that? I mean, the mere fact that a region has its own language, as long as it's not being prevented from using its own language like it was, then that seems okay. Uh, another thing that's cited in this article is that it's one of the most economically dynamic communities in Spain. And it's actually one of Spain's wealthiest regions. So they say there's an argument for independence of Catalonia based on the fact that the small northeastern region makes a huge contribution to the country as a whole and tends to prop up the smaller, less developed areas of the country. So, okay, it's being drained and it's just going to prop up these less developed areas if it's forced to stay in. They say Catalonia accounts for 16% of the national population and 19% of Spanish GDP. That doesn't seem like a huge difference, right? But to some extent, and you know, people might say, okay, there are certain sectors where it's being drained. That's somewhat of a decent argument. If you say, okay, you've got people who are real producers, and then you know they they are being called upon and taxed, and you know, forcibly taxed to pay for everybody else. But to me, the 16% of the population versus 19% of the GDP is not a huge differential where you'd say, okay, you know, that 16% is operating as slaves for everybody else. And they're the only people who are producing. That's obviously not the case. They say this is compounded with the feeling that the central Spanish government takes more from Catalonia than it gives back, benefiting the rest of Spain. Well, what is that feeling based upon? They're, they gave us a GDP stat, but I'm not sure. Um, now, the, also they say the state investment in one of the best performing regions has been declining since 2003. So maybe that's another thing that we would need to look at. We'd say, okay, um, they have a higher GDP than the rest, 
And so therefore they're being taxed at at least somewhat higher rate than the rest. They're, you know, they're helping to pay for the whole at a rate that's a bit higher than the rest. The other piece of the equation is what are they getting back in exchange for their tax dollars? Um, And I don't see a stat in this article here as to that. So in terms of GDP, 16 and 19% doesn't seem that different. Maybe if you gave me some extra statistics about there's a whole bunch of wealthy people there who are taxed at a, you know, confiscatory top rate of, you know, in France, they were talking about 50% or some 70% is the top rate or whatever. Maybe if there's a lot of wealthy people, there's more wealthy people there than anybody else. And they're the ones who are paying this confiscatory rate. And then you could show me significant statistics about how the rest of the country is getting a lot more of quote state investment. I love how they call this investment. They steal your money through your taxes and then they say they're investing. They're giving you back indirectly through a massive state bureaucracy, a tiny fraction of what they've stolen from you. And they call that state investment. But yeah, so if you show me, a big differential there. They're saying that it's been declining since 2003. So it seems significant that they'd say, look, we're giving so much and we're not getting hardly anything back. And um, they say if Catalonia is going to, was to become independent, it would be the 34th largest economy in the world. Catalan contribution to the Spanish economy is twice that of the Scottish contribution to the UK. So what do you think? I mean, you think that they're going to be a whole lot better off? Let's see. Uh, Now, Sir DMZ in the chat room says, it would not matter if they produced 1% of the GDP for 50% of the population. They want out, let them go. That's it. So you would say any state in the United States right now, if they just said, hey, we're out of here, and whatever their reason, just, let them go, no problem, whatever their reason. I mean, you know, this this is really a thing. Are they going to be that much better off if they leave? Or are they just frustrated in general? And maybe, you know, actually it was interesting because one guy, uh, John Kenny, who called in last time, right, he had commented on my link, you know, what what should Spain do? And let me see if I can find what his comment was because it was pretty funny. He says... I insist on being exploited by members of my own ethnic group. (laughs) And that's really the question, right? If Catalonia is independent from Spain, is it just going to be a situation where they're going to have a very similar government, right? Or are they going to suddenly have pure capitalism in Catalonia? If they were going to have something significantly different from what Spain has overall, then I would tend to be very supportive. But I'm kind of skeptical, you know, and I and last time, I don't know if you remember when I was talking about Brexit on this show, but I had a show about Brexit and I said, after they had the vote and, you know, they're going to exit and everything, I said, will Britain actually take advantage of, make the most of Brexit? And I was skeptical because it's not like you had principal advocates of freedom and individual rights there necessarily. It's kind of nationalistic and close the borders and not 
necessarily even get rid of very much in terms of socialism and things like that. So what are the plans? You know, on the one hand, I'm very sympathetic to this idea. They say, you know, you shouldn't drain all of our wealth for the rest of the country and not give us much back. But are they going to actually, you know, take advantage of an opportunity and have a significantly freer government and everything else if they are and they're principled about it and especially like I said I'm very sympathetic when I watch the you know the Spanish forces come down and beat up voters at a referendum I mean that's that's ridiculous perhaps no Cobra in the chat room says are they freedom fighters or zealots wanting to bring their own form of totalitarian controls I don't know if they want to have, you know, anything totalitarian necessarily, but at the same time, um, you know, are they going to be that much different than what they currently have, right? Is it going to be that much different from what they currently have? And if it's not going to be that much different, then you say, okay, is it worth really risking all of this, you know, this, this, going to the polls and potentially there's going to end up being some violence if they declare independence. There's going to be maybe some kind of war. I don't know. Is that going to really be worth it? Sir DMZ says it's not a matter of better off. It's a matter of government is supposed to be of the willing. If Catalonia opposes the system, then they should have a vote and leave. So you would say anybody at any time, go ahead, just vote and leave if they're, if they're motivated. So for independence, for secession, there doesn't have to be any compelling reason. Cobra says, freedom matters. A majority imposing its will on a minority is still wrong. I mean, we have some elements of majorities imposing will on minority here in the United States, right? We've been eroding away our republic for a long time. Craig says that the main independence party are extreme revolutionary communists. Okay. Now, if that's the case, right? Uh, Josh says, what about Reno, Nevada voting to get out of the USA? Just start a new country there. I mean, you know, first of all, you have to come from the context. Do you believe that, you, you know, people should have government at all, right? And then if you are going to have a government that's going to again, have this monopoly on the retaliatory use of force, the legal monopoly on that within this geographic area, and everything's set up with a constitution and courts and everything else, and it's it's going relatively smoothly. You say, well, just anybody can leave for any old reason at any time. Certainly in our country, we know that the reason that the South wanted to leave in terms of being able to maintain slavery as an institution um, and other things was was not legitimate. We have an we had an overall system that at that time hadn't been corrupted in you know in terms of individual rights. And you know the idea that you have state rights versus federal rights it's it's not about state versus federal it's about individual and certainly those who wanted to maintain the institution of slavery were not justified. So you know, you'd say, okay, in that situation, I wouldn't support a secession movement. 
Um, if there's going to be a government, if it's going to be an enduring institution, if people are going to have a long-term plan for their lives, you can't have this idea that, oh, well, all you have to do is have a vote in any particular state, and then suddenly it's going to become its own country and change laws, and, and who knows what the system's going to be like. Otherwise, you know, again, what do we want? We want a long-term plan for our lives. So I don't think it can just be any old reason at all. You think, oh, you're going to be separate, and then what are you going to do? Are they going to close down the borders, just build a big wall, do all of those things? This is the kind of thing that I'm concerned about. Okay, in the chat room says, if we had not accepted Southerners having slavery in the beginning, we would not have had a nation. Yeah, I mean, that was a very tough thing that they had to decide at the beginning to have that compromise. No, we don't know. Oh, my Civil War history is bogus, he says. Okay, so he maybe Craig in the chat room does believe that the South was entitled to go ahead and secede. You can have that um, that reference. In any event, what I my concern with the Catalonian movement is that everybody right now is sort of a mixed economy advocate and that whatever they're going to put in its place might be more ethnocentric, um, more nationalist, and not much better than before. The, the thing that gives me pause, there's two things that give me pause. One is the drain of wealth from Catalonia on behalf of the rest of Spain. Certainly they shouldn't have let it got to, you know, get to that state where people were resenting that. To, to such an extent. And then the other element, of course, is the Spanish government using force to prevent them from even voting on this. Uh, you could say, okay, well, once they actually declare independence, maybe at that point, if you think, okay, you're entitled to keep everything together. But not everybody who is in that region wants to be independent uh, they may want to still have the protection of the government that they were counting on. So it's 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 a tricky situation. You know, here in the United States, the thing that I draw as an analogy to this is uh, the movement for an Article 5 convention. Everybody thinks that an Article 5 convention of the states to amend the Constitution is going to be the answer to all of our problems. And I would definitely concede that some of the leaders of that movement have good ideas about how we can improve the constitution and, and our nation, what sort of amendments might put things on a better path. However, what I'm not convinced of is that the better stuff that comes from those thinkers, some of the, the, you know, the kind of the leading lights of the article five movement, I'm not convinced that what would come out of the conventions would be that right. There's a certain process and all these people are voting and out there amongst most people, even in the Article 5 movement, those who would go and be enthusiastic about these conventions and stuff, there is a mix of ideas. And all you have to do to look at that is look, for example, at what has happened to the movement to repeal Obamacare among Republicans. Republicans were so proud that none of them voted for Obamacare. They were for repeal. They had all these meaningless votes, you know, when Obama was in power, repeal, repeal, repeal over and over and over, because of course they knew he would never sign it. 
And now when they've been actually given a chance to repeal this monstrosity, this huge leap towards socialized medicine, no, nah, they're not going to do it. And I fear the same thing. You know, People think the Article 5 convention is going to be the answer. And I don't know that that's actually going to make a whole lot of difference. So same, same with Catalonia. But you'll get more and more sympathetic with them the more that Spain is using force to shut things down for them to even express their opinion. What I would like to see is a more principled declaration. So when they, if they actually do declare independence on Monday, as they're saying is, is planned and it looks like they're going to be defiant. That's even though the constitutional court has said, no, you're not you know, supposed to have the meeting of your parliament on Monday that they're going to. And if they do, we want to look and see what the reasons are that they are declaring independence on, on, on what grounds, what are the plans, what sort of, new government and how how would it be different from what they have right now what you do see is you see a huge you know margin in favor of independence certainly the will of the people who went to the polls is there 90 percent yes for only 42 percent showed up but i i don't think that only 42 percent showed up because there aren't more people out there i would say if you've got 90 percent of 42 percent you probably have a hefty margin even of the people who stayed home. Now, let's see here. Uh, Robert says, I hereby secede. No more taxes, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks. Ah, You are permitted in the ununited state of Nasir only by permission. (laughs) Neener, neener. I mean, this is the thing, right? Can you do it? willy-nilly, you know, can you do it just for any old reason at all? You know, this is not the same as, you know, like a friendship or a relationship, the personal relationship between people, where in that, you know, you've got a freedom of association in the sense of not having to interact on a private basis. But if you are a citizen of a state within a certain geographic area, you know, this is the premise of the government, that the government has jurisdiction over you and you need to do, a la our founding fathers, a very principled declaration as to why you're, you know, commanding independence from the government. And, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, the, the 16 and 19 percent isn't such a big deal. I would be interested to see what the money going back to the region is. And then you'd say, okay, well, the extent of the theft is huge because whereas they have, uh, you know, they're doing 19% of the budget for 16% of the population, they're not getting anything like 16% of the benefit from the taxes or something, you know, the, the so-called investment from the state. So let's follow it. Let's see it. As I said, they, you know, the Spanish government by using force and using these decrees to try to stop the declaration itself is already stirring up declaration, I mean, excuse me, stirring up sympathy for the independence movement without us even knowing what it's about, right? When you watch police prevent people from voting, that is going to make you sympathetic with those people who are out there trying to vote. 
If government of Spain threatened those voting, I would have expected 100% to vote for secession. But it looks like there is this strong socialist movement there. They're saying that opposes secession. Uh, That's the one that supposedly went to the court and, and had the court shut down the parliament for Monday. Um, yeah, have micronations. You know, here's here's the thing. If these days, you know, first of all, if, if we had a bunch of micronations that were all relatively free, then it wouldn't be a problem. And you'd have, if you could have fairly open borders and free trade in between them and all this stuff. Right now, you have a lot of these sort of reactionary movements where they want to be separate and part of the thing for being separate is that they want to close the borders off and they want to keep people who aren't exactly ethnically like they are out and this is not necessarily something that's shared by anybody who is in that country or region Um, you know again you've got people in there who were under the jurisdiction of a particular government and they see their rights as being protected by that government, and then suddenly you say, okay, um, no, you're not going to be protected by the government. You thought you were being protected anymore. We're taking over. And on, you know, on what grounds are they entitled to do that? It has to be a really good cause in order to you know, take people from the jurisdiction of a government that they wanted to one that they didn't. You say, okay, well, you know, again, Craig's in the chat room says he dis- disputes the the history of the South. But if someone says, um, you know, I saw that the North was, you know, kind of the hope for the South that gradually there was going to be more and more freedom, and eventually they were going to get rid of this institution of slavery. But if we allow the South to, to secede, then that is going to uh, destroy all of our hopes for making that progress anymore. And, you know, I suppose I lived in the South and I was counting on a political solution to this problem. And then suddenly I see the chances of it happening anytime in the near future are going to be gone if my part of the country secedes from the union. You know, is that is that something that you can do for a, a cause that isn't very good? Um, there's going to be a book that's going to come out pretty soon that's going to include in it a Q&A. You know, if, I don't know if people are familiar with the uh, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology, that book by Ayn Rand. In the back, there's this Q&A session between Ayn Rand and some professors talking about issues in epistemology. And there was a similar Q&A session on politics and there's going to be a collection coming out pretty soon that's going to include um, those sessions those Q&A sessions and Rand says some things about secession in there you know the idea about you know what would the grounds be for secession and it's it's a tricky issue right because there is no perfect government in the world today and there is you know, no serious political movement that would actually start a secession, you know, a serious secession movement within a country and 
have on its agenda that they're going to have a completely capitalist, you know, we don't have the capitalist party, the United States saying, okay, we're going to start the secession movement for Texas or something. If Texas was going to secede right now, it would be some sort of religious conservative government that would take its place. And you probably immediately outlaw abortion and maybe even outlaw, you know, birth control and everything else. The idea that you're getting something that much better from a secession movement today. I'm just skeptical of it. I'm open, like I said, to see when, if they actually do declare independence, why it is that they say they're entitled. They now do have the attention of the world on them. We have seen, you know, that they've, they're, you know, they're obviously very motivated to have this independence and, you know, 90% is a, is a huge margin of, of voters at the polls. Let's see what they have to say as to why they think they're entitled to it. What, what is life going to be in there afterwards? How are they going to treat the people in there who wanted to stay as part of Spain? You know, what, what is life going to be like for them in that region, et cetera? So we will, we will watch it. Anybody on the line wanted to talk about that issue? No? Secession is kind of like jury nullification, Hmm. Uh, Sir DMZ says totalitarian Amy you can't leave for the Gulch we have determined it's not good for the country or the good of you Uh, the Gulch is an entirely different thing right the Gulch is a single chunk of private property and they are declaring themselves revolutionaries and they're declaring themselves revolutionaries for very principled reasons that the difference between life in the Gulch and life outside is, is, you know, night and day. So it's, it's, it's a whole different beast. It's a whole different beast. You know, Um, you can't just be tinkering around the edges of a mixed economy. And in particular, if you're tinkering around the edges of a mixed economy and in addition, adding some sort of ethnocentric nationalism to the mix, which is happening in some of these movements, you know, like Brexit had some tones of that and stuff too. You'd say, okay, you know, yeah. Do I want a wealthier region to be able to be free from being slave, you know, enslaved by the rest of a country? Certainly I'm, I'm for that, but what are you going to put in its place? And what are you going to do with, people who are in there, you know, they've bought property and everything else, and they're not sympathetic with all the elements of the agenda. And are all the elements of the agenda consistent with the principle of individual rights? I'm doubting it just today, because like I said, even if we had an Article 5 convention today, what would come out of that? I don't think you'd have anything principled Uh, In terms of individual rights, you wouldn't have that if Texas was to secede. Certainly weren't going to have it with a California secession. California secession was going to be total socialist state. A lot of people were saying, hell, we're happy to see you go. Go, California, go. But not me so much. Let me go ahead and take a quick musical break, and I'm going to pick up a caller.
Okay, I am back, and I'm going to go ahead and pick up the color I've got here online. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello, Amy. Uh, John Kenny, Carson City. Hi, John. So what do you think? Do you think Catalonia should be independent? You're the one who gave me well, my you know, the awesome little comment, yeah. right? You know, we want to be oppressed by people of our own ethnicity. Yeah, well, right. you know, I think that's what it comes down to. But uh, my question is, uh, have they written a constitution yet for Catalonia, even a draft one? I haven't you know seen it, you know, and, and again, you know, I was looking around a little bit for why is it that they want independence, because all the stories I was seeing was just, look at these horrible videos of the police cracking down on the voters, and that seems, you know, if you have a legitimate reason to want to get away, anything like that would seem to reinforce, you know, the, the clarity of why you need to get away. It seems very oppressive that they're doing this, that they're stopping them from even voting, stopping their parliament from meeting. And I want to see an actual, you know, battle of the issues. Again, what do we have in this article? We have a differential, a small differential between GDP and the percentage of the population. And they're saying that there is apparently some sort of significant difference in the amount of tax dollars redirected back to Catalonia. But, you know, it doesn't seem significant enough to to secede as far as I can tell. Yeah, well, that's an inherent problem. That's an inherent problem with democracies. You know, if, if you're in everybody else's pockets, some people are going to get shortchanged. And I yeah. think that's a problem with Nevada. We there's occasionally complaints about that. We we don't get as much back from the federal government as we shovel to the uh, to Washington. I mean mm-hmm. that's uh, you know that's just an inherent problem with democracy. But uh, anyway, I don't think there's going to be much co- uh, to come of this because Europeans love I mean love pensions. Uh, you know. Um, Greece and France and Italy and I assume Spain, they love their pensions. Now, mm-hmm. if Catalonia breaks away, that's going to cause havoc with, with everybody's pensions, right? I mean, right. Uh, you know, money going into the fund and, hey, I want my pension and everything. I think in, in places like France, they got uh, milk milkmen, milk drivers, dairy drivers, retiring at age 53 or so, at almost full salary. Wow. You know, at age 53. So, uh, you know, I think that's one fact that seems trivial, but that's just going to undermine everything. So why are the the 90% then voting for it right now? Don't they realize that if it's, you know, if the secession succeeds, say that 12 times fast, if the succession succeeds, that, their pensions are going to go away, but yet 90% are still voting? Uh, they probably haven't given it much thought. Okay. I think. I mean, where, where do the, the checks come from? Maybe the checks come from a, a local fund. I don't know, but I assume it comes from a, the central government, like our Social Security. And uh, that's going to throw a big wrench into that whole system. They're going to uh, get very upset because, you know, they like to sit in the cafes and play a game of chess and drink uh, Uzo or whatever they drink there, you know, and party and not work too much. So uh, I think there'll be uh, – nothing will really come of this, I don't think. Okay. But, well, uh, we're, we're, cer- yeah. we're certainly going to watch it, and 
from what I'm reading so far, I would anticipate that they are going to try to have the meeting of the parliament on Monday. Are the police going to come in and forcibly shut it down? Or is the government just going to sit back and declare whatever it says to be illegitimate? I mean, I'm not sure exactly what's going to go on with it. But, um, John, do you have anything on the rest of the program notes that you want to talk about? Because I'm actually going to have to move on to another topic here. Yeah, no, uh, I, that was my only comment. I'll uh, yeah, lo- love your show, and I'll talk well, to you later. Okay. Thank you, sir, and we will definitely okay. talk again. I, I I appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks. don't don't succeed. Don't succeed yet. Okay. Just don't. No, no. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Succeed, 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 succeed. Okay. <laughs> try to keep those two straight so that that's you know there's our our first topic and you know again my view and and you know following on Ayn Rand you again this is the premise is that you do believe that government serves a legitimate function you're not an anarchist that government is an institution that you expect to be lasting over a long term that people live in a certain area they purchase property, homes and things, they establish their businesses and they do all this. And if the particular sub region that you're in for any reason at any time can just, you know, secede from the union for some sort of trivial thing and no particular difference and mess up the protection of your rights in some way, that, that seems wrong, right? If, if you have a perfectly you know, government that you are happy with, then there has to be some real reason, you know, for, for seceding. You can't just, I, I don't, I don't buy the idea that's like, oh, you can do it at any time. And I don't, I think Galt's Gulch is an entirely different situation. You know, these people are saying we are uh, in a revolution. It's a, it's a different type, right? I mean, they're actually like just withdrawing themselves. It's not like they're declaring any sort of intention of, of violence. They're on their own private property they will, you know, just be there and and do their thing and live their lives unless there's some sort of invasion. They've done everything to show that, you know, to try to ensure that they're not detected and everything else. Uh, There's no anticipation of interaction one way or the other. That's they're, they're just there. They've withdrawn themselves as individuals, each of them and gone to a, a slot of private property. It's very different than this, situation with Catalonia where you have a mix of people within it some of whom have been counting on certain aspects of the Spanish rule and like I said unless you can tell me you're going to have Catalonia is going to be capitalist nirvana compared to whatever they had before and it's not going to have this nationalist close the borders and all that stuff going on either that's that's what I would like to see so we'll watch it um, Catalonia is their property. They joined Spain at some point. Now they want to leave. But that's not true of all the individual plots of land within there, right? Um, just like our whole country right now, it's not like one big gated community either. It's all a bunch of individuals all owning different pieces of property. Yeah, individuals own property. It's not the property as, as a whole. It's not a collective yeah, certainly not a race, but it's not a collective of any kind. You don't make a collective out of a certain geographic region and, and then, you know, count on majority rule within that and stuff. You can't, you know, upend 
a relationship between individuals and their government for you know no real good reason and that that's really what you want to look at here but as i said i there are some indications that make you sympathetic with catalonia i want to hear more i want to hear what that declaration of independence is about all eyes are on them now we are all paying attention give us give us a constitution give us a declaration of independence that we can get behind and support you with sure if it's if it's principled people love to watch a fight for freedom and individual rights around the world. If, it, if it's good, let's go for it. So, like I said, the other big topic I want to get to today is empowerment. And there was this interesting piece in the New York Times that got my attention the other day. It's called The Myth of Women's Empowerment. It turns out a few scholars have written a paper about the so-called women's empowerment movement. And they give you some highlights and summary of what they talk about in the paper. The paper is not super long. You can, there's a link to the paper within the New York times article as well. It's um, CCNY, uh, CUNY, New York, Um, a couple of professors there, a few professors there. And they are showing basically that this so-called empowerment movement, although at the beginning it included an agenda for both so-called economic empowerment of women, helping them with things like microfinancing and job training and things like that. It also included at the beginning a component of more cultural political change that would make women's lives easier in these regions. And what she says, what they say now and the, the, author of this particular opinion piece says, she says, uh, in the 22 years since they had this one conference, it was the fourth world conference on women in 1995. They adopted an agenda for women's empowerment. They say now empowerment is a buzzword, but the crucial part about political mobilization has been excised. The idea that women can actually exercise political power in order to obtain more freedom and more equal treatment under the law, that doesn't happen anymore. So in effect, what are they doing? All of these different organizations that say that they're empowering women, according to this report, they say, well, you know, maybe they're handing out chickens or sewing machines, or maybe they're giving job training for how to do hairstyles and uh, what was the other thing that they were training them for? Um, let me let me find it here. Yeah, they were they were you know training them to do hairstyles and something else. And it turns out that a lot of times they wouldn't even end up earning money doing any of the sewing or hairdressing or any of the stuff that they were trained to do. It, it's not serving the women. Instead, it's turned into sort of a cottage industry. And in the paper, they talk about how, you know, there's a woman's magazine, Glamour, that would do these features on, uh, you know, a white Western woman going into one of these regions. And there's like a typical tour that they would take. And they'd go and see this place where women who had been raped would be treated. And then there's this place. And and they all go to the same places And they all give their, quote, firsthand experience of the, you know, how women are treated so badly. And they all look at exactly the same type of victim, usually somebody who's maybe been a victim of a sexual assault and everything else. And they don't 
end up making any real changes for the women, say the authors here. Why? Because it's more than just economic. Um, You can't separate it from politics. There are political barriers that are keeping women from improving their lives. And insofar as this movement, this empowerment movement, is purposefully apolitical, that they come in and they just, you know, give you a, a chicken or a sewing machine or some job training or something, then it's not going to help the women. Um, in handing out chickens or sewing machines, the author writes, Western feminists and development organizations can point to the non-Western women they have, quote, empowered. The non-Western subjects of their efforts can be shown off at conferences and featured on websites. Development professionals can point to training sessions, workshops, and spreadsheets laden with, quote, deliverables as evidence of another successful empowerment project. In this system, they say there's little room for the complexities of the recipients. Non-Western women are reduced to mute, passive subjects awaiting rescue. And they talk about the Gates Foundation and its poultry projects. They say, but researchers haven't found that giving out chickens leads to any long-term economic gains, much less emancipation or equality for half of the population. And they say in order to keep the money coming, because this is a big industry, right? Women's empowerment is a huge industry. They say USAID statistics on Afghanistan have been manipulated. They say they usually focus on the number of girls, quote, enrolled in schools, even if they rarely attend class or graduate. The groups promoting the chicken farming measure, they measure the short-term impact of the chickens, the momentary increase in household income, not the long-term substantive changes in women's lives. And what is the author's message here? They say that without political change, the structures that discriminate against women can't be dismantled, and any advances they do make will be unsustainable. And then um, they talk about the fact that sometimes the organizations themselves will take away the limelight from women who don't sort of Uh, fit their image of a helpless victim. So there was one woman um, who was going to maybe be in a fundraising video for one of these organizations. She was rejected, they say, because she didn't fit the image of a young helpless survivor that the donors wanted. So the women who actually might be capable of helping themselves, they are excluded from the attention of these aid organizations because they don't fit the the so-called image. Uh, Sri Lanka, there was a former female soldier of the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam, and this woman told one of the co-authors that she and other ex-fighters were offered classes in, here it was, cake decorating. Cake decorating, hairstyling, and sewing. A government official confessed that despite years of training programs, she had never seen any of the women earn a living from these skills. So it doesn't look very optimistic. Now, I had a friend who had raised this issue of microfinance, and I'd heard about this too, microfinance, also called microbanking. And you might think, okay, well, it gives them more of a choice. It doesn't subject them to training in cake decorating or sewing or um, hairdressing, right? They're not forced into those fields. Is that something that can 
you know, promise long-term change. And in fact, when I was looking at results from microfinance in general, there is some skepticism. You can find individual success stories, right? So if you say, okay, microfinance success stories, you put that into Google, you'll find some anecdotes and people are more than happy to show you some of the success stories. But I've got this one piece from the World Bank in March 2015, for example. And the highlights of the story say this. They say the benefits of microcredit, microfinance banking, have been modest in field experiments, and commercial microfinance is unlikely to reach the poorest of the poor. They say subsidies will likely continue to play an important role in bringing financial services to the poorest. Other forms of microfinance beyond microcredit, such as micro savings and micro insurance, can help increase financial inclusion. Now, of course, this is focusing, first of all, on people in general, not just women. And it's also focusing on, um, you know, just this issue of finance and, you know, bringing financial services to poorer people. But from what I've seen on my little glance, I haven't seen any statistics about the success of this. I've seen anecdotal evidence. Certain people have really done well because of microfinance. So they'll be happy to trot those examples out for you. But I haven't seen a, you know, sort of vast overall success. And you kind of wonder, you know, if there's only a few anecdotal success stories that you can trot out from this whole microfinance industry, which has been expanding in India and elsewhere, what is there to it? And can you count on it to empower women in particular either when, again, there isn't the political change, there isn't the cultural change? Yeah, people in the chat room are saying, yeah, there's only eight minutes left. That is right. I've, I've, I'm doing a shorter show today. Uh, Kay says this all sounds kind of like the Peace Corps. Yeah, again, uh, women's empowerment, but it's not really empowering the women. I've got a few other stories related to the treatment of women in the culture here in the United States. One, there is a new birth control rule that essentially the Trump administration is going to allow employers to block the payment for birth control from their company's health insurance plans. And remember, they haven't repealed Obamacare, so we all have to have insurance. And then suddenly your insurance doesn't cover your birth control. So not only are you, you know, paying your contribution or paying for your insurance, but then you also have to pay separately for the birth control. This is just one of the things that's happening under the religious right in our country. Tells you what the culture is like. Uh, in South Carolina, this was from Jihad Watch, and I didn't get to it last time. There's an imam who has been preaching in our country. <laughs> that men are better than women, that a woman is her husband's prisoner. Different religion, a lot more extreme oppression being preached in our own country. And then, of course, the mistreatment of women is not a monopoly held by the religious in our country, whether it be Christian or Muslim. We have Harvey Weinstein paid off sexual harassment cases for years. I'm not going to make too much of that, but just that the fact that the liberals in Hollywood have helped to cover up and tolerate this crap for so long just shows you that, yeah, there are cultural 
problems that women have to face as well. Of course, you know, cultural problems are not nearly the problem of, a, you know, a legal system that doesn't treat women equally before the law. And here in the United States, women are essentially treated equally before the law. Sometimes, actually, they get affirmative action, which is wrong. So, but now, you know, we've got women, they're not going to be able to get birth control. If there ever is a single-payer system, are they going to just bake that right into the single-payer system that Trump is helping to pave the way for, and then we can't have birth control? We're all going to be baby makers again? What in the world? Um, you know, babies are cool, but to be forced to have them or never have sex in your life would be a horrible thing. So, uh, women here. What else do we have? Ah, the alt-right couple stories about the alt-right. One of them is the ACLU saying that they're bracing for the next time that they have to represent someone on the alt-right because the ACLU in the past has been an advocate for the alt-right as part of its overall commitment to freedom of expression. And yet now they're kind of hesitant. And the way I read this New York Times piece, thanks Rob for sending it, by the way, is they're kind of saying maybe there's a reason to scale back our commitment to freedom of expression because there, you know, some bad things happened in Charlottesville. Little trial balloonish ACLU. I don't know, you know, well, you know, we're for freedom of expression, but maybe we shouldn't be so much. And I don't know. It will be really sad if ACLU retreats. ACLU should watch Shapiro from the last time the program notes that I have for the last show on Wednesday has that two minute speech from Shapiro and he's excellent on this. If you want to look at the alt-right and how sadly Milo was a key figure smuggling Nazi and white nationalist ideas into Breitbart and therefore helping to push them out into the mainstream because Breitbart had a huge audience, maybe I guess still has a huge audience. Go ahead and check out this long very well documented, actually it's crow busting in its detail speech about how Milo, by going out there and, and saying all these controversial things, ended up being a magnet and attracting and actually making friendships with some pretty yucky, icky racist types on the alt-right. It's disturbing um, that they that they did that. I used to say I like Milo, but Obviously, I can't say that at all anywhere anymore. Uh, privacy is a story, of course, we're going to continue to follow. The latest Russian hackers stole NSA tools using the Kapersky antivirus software. I, I wasn't sure if it's this story or another one that covered the same thing, but they're saying only a month ago, only a month ago, did the federal government say that they were going to stop using this antivirus software. So if you think of the NSA invading your privacy, and then the NSA being hacked because of Russian antivirus software that the Russian hackers can get in. NSA is violating your rights, and then the Russians can get this information about you and use it against us. It's really, really scary. Uh, Trump is tweeting out stuff chilling to free speech. That's what my little Burr tweet is there. Go look at it if you're interested. And otherwise, I'm going to talk to you guys on Monday. I got to be out of here now. I'll talk to you Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific time. Take care. Have a good weekend, everyone.